The Medical College of Wisconsin Office of Student Health and Wellness presents Well, 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 where each episode a very special guest and I discuss what it means to be well in the world of health science education. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Well, Well, Well. We are kicking off Suicide Prevention Week with an episode with Dr. Barbara Moser to debunk some commonly held myths about suicide. Barbara Moser is a new grandma, mom of three adult children, wife, animal lover, and a retired family practice physician who for the past 15 years has worked extensively in the realm of suicide and emotional well-being in Greater Milwaukee. Barbara is a longtime member and former co-chair of Prevent Suicide Greater Milwaukee, a community member of MCW's Suicide Prevention Council, and a co-facilitator of Alternatives to Suicide Peer Support Group. In addition, Barbara has been a mindful self-compassion instructor since 2019, an evidence-based program that increases participant self-compassion. Several recent studies have shown that increased levels of self-compassion can be a protective factor for suicide. I hope that you all enjoy this episode. Be well. Thank you so much, Dr. Moser, for being here for the second time. I know we've done a previous episode on mindful self-compassion, and you are back again in honor of Suicide Prevention Week, here to help us debunk some commonly held myths about suicide. Um, And before we get to those myths, we'll do our usual icebreaker. Dr. Moser, what's one way that you've been promoting your wellness or taking care of yourself recently? Oh, that's such a great question. And I have to say with everything going on in both my personal life as well as in our society and in the world right now, I've had a lot of really tough emotions that have been arising. And so my self-care practice has really been to use all my skills to feel my feelings and be with them as they arise and not to push them away. And so in order to do that, I've been using a lot of self-compassion and both from my mindful self-compassion training and also uh, Tara Brock has a lot of um, great teachings on the RAIN practice and being with emotions and what they mean and nurturing yourself. So they really go hand in hand. And that has been, I think, helping me to stay out of going down the rabbit hole of feeling lousy and depressed. Right, right. (laughs) There has been so much going on. I totally, can feel really like existential, you know, like I totally get that. And it's funny, I was just talking to one of our genetic counseling students who is getting, I believe, like certified in mindfulness with Tara Brock mm-hmm. and another person, I can't remember who now, but another practitioner. Um, and we were just like talking about this, this topic this morning. So relevant. Yeah. 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 So um, I wanted to start off And I, whenever I speak of suicide, I mention this, and especially since I've gone deeply into compassion and self-compassion practices, that it's so important when we're learning more about suicide to take 
really good care of yourself and to be really kind to yourself. It's a, it's a time when we really may need that self-kindness and self-compassion because our conversation, uh, depending on your life experience, may bring up some difficult emotions. And so if you're feeling that and it, it begins to go into that realm of overwhelm, please do either pause the recording and come back to it later or even completely disengage from the material and really do what works best for you and, and giving yourself what you need. So thanks Perfect. for, thanks for um, listening to that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I will, I will say too, just piggybacking on that point that, um, you know, you have resources available through MCW, one of those being myself. So if you listen to this uh, podcast episode and decide you'd like to debrief with someone, I mean, please feel free to reach out to me. My email is always in the show notes. Otherwise, I'm available for scheduling in WC online. Um, so don't hesitate to reach out if you'd like to debrief and talk about these topics on a one to one level. Yeah, great. So jumping into our first myth, Dr. Moser, it is asking or talking about suicide will put the idea in a person's head and will increase the risk of suicide. What do we know about that? Yeah, so that is a really important one. And the fact is that asking or talking about suicide does not increase suicide risk. And it also decreases uh, the stigma that surrounds the topic of suicide. So talking about suicide, asking about suicide in a caring and respectful manner uh, has been shown to actually can, can lower a person's risk of suicide. It may uh, really give that person a feeling of relief, like, wow, somebody really finally gets how desperately unhappy I am, how incredibly sad I am, how much pain I'm in, how hopeless I feel. And that can really help. And it's so important to know that the presence could be your presence of another person who understands, who has some empathy for what this person is going through. Um, is a powerful resource for that person and, and really not to be underestimated. Um, I wanted to share that they, there was actually a literature review um, a number of years ago by Dazi et al. in Psychological Medicine, and they reviewed recent literature and found a total of 13 papers published between 2001 and 2013 that really looked at, examined whether, and I'm quoting from their abstract now, whether asking about suicide induces suicidal ideation. They conducted, these studies were conducted using samples of both adolescents and adults and in general and at-risk populations, and none found a statistically significant increase in suicidal ideation in participants as a result of being asked about their suicidal thoughts. This, stu this study came about because people doing research on persons experiencing suicide um, were concerned that their research questions may 
possibly be making people more suicidal and nothing was further from the truth. This was absolutely not shown. So that is really a myth. The other, yeah, the other big reason that we want to talk more about suicide is that it decreases stigma and the shame that surround this topic. And so when we can talk openly about suicide, it makes everyone less afraid to speak about it and really, you know, kind of gives permission to a person to say, yes, I am thinking about suicide and I can share my story with other people. Right. I love the point of this like dual benefit, right? You mentioned earlier that it just increases the opportunity for someone to get the help and support that they need, right? If you're if you're willing to ask, if you're willing to go there with them, but then also the um, reducing stigma and allowing people to feel seen and understood. Um, right. I think right. this really seems like so much benefit. You know? Yeah. And it's surprisingly difficult to feel safe enough to share right. one story of feeling suicidal. And, you know, I myself have had um, this story in my life. And really, you, you need to have a, a space that feels safe enough where you're not scared to, to share that. Um, one space that I happen to co-facilitate right now that offers that is the Alternatives to Suicide Peer Support Group. It is a non-clinical group. I am not there as a physician at all. I was there as a peer support person. And, I, you know, it's common for me to hear in that group, you know, I can't talk about suicide openly anywhere else. So that's why we need to talk about suicide. We need right. to, to really make it a more... Um, you know, topic that comes up, not infrequently, so that we can say what we need to say. Right. I feel like what this Suicide Prevention Week is really all about, right? Like prevention, raising awareness, destigmatization, basically shining light into that that dark area. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So our next myth is suicide happens suddenly without warning, and there's no way to prevent it. Yeah, boy, that that really is a myth. Um, and the fact is that there are things we can learn and do to make suicide less likely. And there's something else that I always say when I'm talking about this, because I know that there may be persons who have survived the suicide death of a loved one who are listening to this podcast. And if you have had a person you care about in your life die from suicide, first I'm sending you my, my deepest compassion and, and true wishes for, for healing. Um, I, I always have to remind all of us that suicide happens as a result of multiple converging factors and not just one thing that's happened or one thing that somebody said or did or didn't say or do. Human beings are so complex and, and unpredictable. And it's it's really very difficult to predict with, with any certainty who will ultimately make an attempt on their life. It's so natural after a person we care about dies from suicide to think of all the things we could have done, we should have said. And, and 
you know, many of us torture ourselves with this, but it's just important to remember that ultimately only the person who died from suicide, who felt the depth of their own pain and despair made what we say is a decision. If it is a decision, it may not really, it may have just felt a compelling need to leave that they could no longer bear staying, staying here with us, you know? So that being said, we, we can learn more about risk factors for suicide and how to look for behaviors that may indicate that a person is thinking of suicide and then do our best to help. So, you know, we can, we can always learn more. And research has shown that some important risk factors, so these are sort of background information about a person's life. Um, Some of the important ones include a prior suicide attempt that they have made, a family history of suicide attempts, and especially if people have died from suicide, if the person has a history of a mental illness, and or substance use disorder, and in particular mood disorders um, are a risk factor for for suicide. Um, Persons who've had a history of trauma, and of course a lot of these risk factors may commingle as well. Uh, People who are socially isolated are at more risk people who belong to a group which has been traditionally oppressed by society, for instance, persons who identify as LGBT plus. And and there are many additional risk factors as well, but but these are some that really um, seem to be very important. People thinking of suicide may also express some of the following words and behaviors in the time leading up to a suicide attempt um, and that may result in their death. And so we often refer to these as warning signs. And I'll share a few of these that are noted on the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline website. And so you can go to that website. Um, Carrie's going to link to that, um, that talk about the whole set. But in particular, here's a few just to, to think about. So warning signs include talking about wanting to die or kill themselves, looking for a way to kill themselves, like searching online or buying a gun, talking about feeling hopeless or having no reason to live, talking about feeling trapped or in unbear- unbearable pain, talking about being a burden to others. Um, noticing increasing use of alcohol or drugs and people who are acting anxious or agitated or behaving recklessly. So again, this is a partial list and I invite you to visit the 988 website for a, a more complete list. But when a person shows these warning signs, and especially if they're around the time that you know they're experiencing a significant loss in their life, and perhaps we know some of those risk factors I mentioned too, you know, it, it kind of all comes together and we're, we're starting to feel worried and we may feel this worry in our 
in our bodies, right? We, we may really feel this viscerally and we may think, is this person I know thinking of suicide? And we need to really listen to that message with inside ourselves and not ignore it because then we can take some steps to help. And in particular, I really like the be the one to model for taking some action steps. This comes from the National Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention, collaborating with the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. And these five steps are ask, keep them safe, be there, help them connect, and follow up. And so Carrie's also going to put a link um, into the, sh the podcast notes for that website. And there's a lot of good information on that website. So you can learn more there. Um, yeah. So Carrie, anything to add to yeah. that? Well, I was just thinking about the, you know, feeling there's no way to prevent it. I know you know, we understand that many suicidal crises are relatively short lived, right? That, yes. that if we're willing and able to stay with someone until they get help, and there's practical help, like safety planning, or, you know, some sort of medical intervention that people really do get through times like that. They do, they do. And so that's a great point to bring up that these suicide crises may last you know, hours to a day or two usually. And so they may be very brief. And if we can just get them through that intense pressured time of those intense feelings, we can make such a difference. Right. So our next myth is suicide only affects individuals with a mental health condition. Mm, yeah. And we really fought this up until uh, the last, you know, six, seven years. The fact is there's good recent data that many people who die from suicide do not have known mental health diagnoses or issues. And that, you know, again, suicide is complex and there's many factors that come together that contribute to a person's um, intention to end their, their life. So the CDC's vital signs began looking at data from the mid-teens, uh, 2000 teens. <laughs> I don't know quite how to say that. Um, <laughs> but it, it comes out of the most recent look comes out of the 2018 vital signs report. And they looked at 2015 data from 27 states. And they found that 54%, so over half the people who died by suicide were not known to have a mental health condition. And other issues that were cited were relationship problems, problematic substance use, recent or impending life crisis, physical health problems, losses in financial stability and housing, so these were some of the other circumstances that really contributed to um, this uh, intention to end their life and their death. And so I think in addition to that, um, it's important to think about how systemic issues in 
especially in our country, in the US, systemic issues like poverty and racism will cause and compound these adverse life experiences and circumstances that we just noted. I, I would feel mm -hmm. wrong and without including that, that, that note um, right. because it's really important. Yeah. Yes, that those are public health crises, right? I mean, they yes. impact, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I think just to reiterate how how complex, you know, suicide, suicidal ideation is, the, the, the origin of it, the root of it, and maybe the best way is to understand that everyone has the potential to experience suicidal ideation. Um, right, right. Or, and Right, exactly. I mean, is it a mental illness or is it, you know, some condition in their life that is just causing overwhelming stress in their in and dysregulation where where they can't bear it anymore? I mean, it's hard right. sometimes to draw that line, right? Right, right. Yeah. So our next myth is if someone's mood has improved, it must mean that they are no longer considering suicide. Yeah, so the fact is that we shouldn't assume that improved mood necessarily means that the risk of a suicide attempt is gone. If a person's mood has improved or if they are less agitated than previously, it may mean that they have set a plan in motion to end their life and they know that their pain will soon be over. So they may, in fact, be feeling relief. Um, individuals who have seriously considered suicide, made an attempt, or have been hospitalized really require continuing careful follow-up and care. So we don't want to just say, okay, they're, they're done. You know, we need to stay on it. And particularly if a person has recently been hospitalized or made an attempt, to recognize that their risk of another suicide attempt may actually increase in the months after their hospitalization uh, and or attempt. Right. This one makes me think how important it is to develop some comfortability around asking directly, right, and being able to talk about the topic of suicide. Yeah. Um, because as you said, we cannot assume just by someone's presentation that they're, that they're past that. Right. And leaving the door wide open. So if they know, hey, I'm comfortable talking with Carrie about this, I can go back to her because, oh, this isn't gone yet. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So our final myth is reducing a person's access to, to the methods they may use to die from suicide does not work. They'll just find another way to take their life. Yeah, this is really important when we are thinking about helping people uh, who are thinking about suicide. The fact is that limiting access to lethal means, such as putting up barriers on bridges and safely storing firearms, is really a key proven strategy in decreasing the risk of, of suicide. And it's really part of best practices when helping a suicidal person, whether that's professionally or just as a, you know, a, a friend and loved one. Um, it's been shown in research 
that an individual's decision to take action to end their life often occurs within 10 minutes of the attempt, you know, and so it can be very quick. And so if we can put some distance between a person and their chosen method and increase the time it will take to access or use a method, it really provides more time for that intense urge that we just have talked about, that it's a very short time period where people are intensely suicidal. It gives more time for that intense urge to diminish and for a person to reconsider, to have other thoughts coming in. It also allows time for another person to discover what that person is doing to prepare to end their life and to help them. Uh, in fact, 90% of persons who attempt suicide do not go on to die by suicide later. And there, there have been just a number of studies that have shown when you, for instance, um, build a barrier on a bridge that the numbers of suicides from that bridge go down and that they aren't seeing a compensatory increase in other high places. So it's not that people are finding other ways to end their life or other similar means. They just get through that intense period and then um, don't go on to attempt again. Similarly with firearms, if we can store them safely, if we can use um, gun locks, it has been shown to really decrease um, suicide deaths because you're increasing the amount of time it takes to get into the gun or you've removed the risk altogether from, from the home of a person who is in despair. So these can be incredibly effective ways to decrease risk and should, should always be undertaken. Yes. As a therapist, I've done a lot of in community mental health, I've done a lot of safety planning. And that's often the, the main topic of safety planning is reducing access to, to means. Yes, um, absolutely. So right giving medication to a loved one temporarily or um, yeah, removing guns from the home, things like that. So I know it's very important. Right. Absolutely. So that was our last myth. I thank you so much, Dr. Moser, for being here again. As you mentioned, I will share the new 988 link in the show notes, as well as the hashtag be the one to website. I appreciate you so much coming and sharing your great wisdom on this very, very important topic. Oh, thank you, Carrie. It's, it's always a delight to speak with you and to share this information. Hi, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. This is Carrie again. I just wanted to pop in and invite you all to our big Suicide Prevention Week event that is taking place this Thursday, September 8th, 12 to 3, right out in front of the Health Research Center at MCW. Feel free to grab lunch at a food truck. Wilma Smokehouse and Sweet Crush Ice Cream will be there parked right on the Circle Drive. A percentage of those proceeds are going to go to Prevent Suicide Greater Milwaukee. 
And then after lunch, feel free to explore ways you can get more involved with suicide prevention at one of our resource booths. Those booths are going to include representatives from our office, the Office of Student Health and Wellness, um, MCW Student and Resident Behavioral Health, the Psychiatry and Mental Health Student Association, Prevent Suicide Greater Milwaukee, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention Wisconsin Chapter, MCW Comprehensive Injury Center, the Suicide Prevention Division will be there representing a new uh, peer outreach group that will be on campus soon, and then the Captain John D. Mason Veteran Peer Outreach Program will also be present. So it's going to be a great event. I hope to see you all there um, to raise awareness of this really important topic.